Welcome to another episode of Nerd Legion. I'm Ani Cristo, joined by Doa. We just got the pleasure of seeing a new intro for this show made by our producer, Andrew. Yes. Uh, it was made with AI art, just like the Secret Invasion garbage <laughs> intro. If you guys haven't seen that yet, you can check it out on YouTube. Ours is way better. To how terrible it is. Uh, obviously, way it was way better because this contained images of us, such as me blowing a train whistle or what AI thinks I look like. Uh, you look kind of like a dictator, really. I do look like a dictator. Yeah. Ripping off the shirt with the American flag underneath. Us on a couch with an alpaca. And if you're confused about the <laughs> unicorn, that's what AI thought when <laughs> Andrew tried to put in Rhino Centaur, uh, which rhino, is from... Well, it should have been Rhino Mantar. Right, but Rhino Centaur because they doesn't know what a Mantar is. But he was trying to make that yeah. image from your casting of, of Dota. The famous Dota 2 cast, yeah, which uh, hopefully will never be repeated. But uh, but yes, I I appreciate all of that. It was a wonderful <laughs> it was a wonderful intro. It was and it did the same thing as uh, Secret Invasion's intro did for me, which was uh, to prepare me for something mysterious and intriguing, and uh, you know really make me wonder, ooh, what's going to happen? Um, and then the episode started. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. And and also, uh, you don't know what's going to happen now a slightly strange AI version of Samuel L. Jackson that nobody wanted to see. Yeah, like, I, I like the idea. So as far as the intro goes for Secret Invasion, I guess, should we just talk about Secret Invasion first? Sure. Just establish that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing. Okay, we're talking about Secret Invasion first. So we're saving the best for last there. We'll do, we'll put it that way. But uh, I I like the idea of the intro. I think it's I think it's a, it's a cool concept to take all of this, this AI art and sort of the weird eldritch otherworldly look that it has and apply that to a show like secret invasion which is kind of about that sort of like topic of you know are you really seeing what you think you're seeing kind of thing but it it is it just kind of looks cartoony more than interesting for the most part you get sort of cartoony versions of all the characters like you said um you know and, and it's it's nowhere near as like creepy as a lot of the ai art of that ilk that I've seen. I feel like they could have gone for something much more sinister and much more creepy and much more cooler looking, but they did something pretty soft and they did about as normal of a show intro with that style of art as you could. And that's kind of disappointing because I feel like that's a cool concept and they didn't go far enough with it, in my opinion. Yeah, it looks, it looks really bad. It's been the subject of a lot of ridicule on the internet if you guys have seen it, yeah. so no surprise. But as for the show of Secret Invasion, fortunately, Doa, there are only six episodes of this. So we don't actually oh, have so goodness. much suffering to go through. <laughs> There's, uh, only with this There's only two I more. There's only two more. I didn't know that. And then we get, by the way, Twisted Metal, which I don't know if you've seen the, the most recent trailer. Actually looks <laughs> like it might be good. It actually looks like it might be good. That's coming at the end of July, guys. And I saw next, a clip and it was good. Yeah, next week we're going to be talking about the, the latest season of The Witcher. Uh, so we'll take a break from Secret Invasion and Star Trek until we can do another two episodes of each um, mm -hmm. and kind of finish that off. Although I think uh, Star Trek has 10 episodes. Strange New Worlds has, has 10 episodes this season. We'll just be doing The Witcher and Star Trek then, <laughs> which sounds like a better combination. I mean, because I, I am so done with Marvel shows. I'm done with Marvel shows. I didn't even go see Quantumania in the theater, and uh, I'm glad I didn't because I, I watched it the other night at home, and I think the first, like, two-thirds of it was good, and then the third act was just kind of, kind of trash. But... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of done. Kinda uh, done Disney Disney has yeah. actually said that they feel that they've oversaturated Star Trek or Star Wars rather, Star Wars and and Marvel with the TV shows. I would agree. And see, here's here's my problem though. And Secret Invasion is a perfect poster child of this, which is that mm. if you don't invest all of your time in Marvel, 
You just have no clue what's going on. If you haven't seen Captain Marvel, it was really hard to get into the first episode of Secret Invasion. And it's all of these subplots that are now just hidden in all of these individual TV shows, where if you're not interested, potentially, in one of the characters in that show or the premise of that show, well, you miss critical information that leads into a different show or a different film. And so now it just feels really bloated because I can't actually experience the whole world and I miss out when I'm not because the expositions of these shows are done so badly. Well, and honestly, what you just said means that this is the best comic book to screen adaptation of all time because that's exactly what comic books are. And trying I know, to get into it's comic frustrating. Books, if you, because I, I love comic book art. I always have. So every once in a while, every few years, I try to get into reading comic books and I go back and I buy a couple trade paperbacks and try to catch up. And it's just, the universes are so big that, yeah, it seems almost impossible to get into it unless you've been with it and read everything the entire time. And so uh, I'm to sure be fair, you're talking story. about like DC and Marvel and superhero yes, comic I book am. universes. There's yeah. tons of, obviously there's tons of graphic novels Not that the are very ones. easily digestible. Yeah, exactly. There's a, like a there's a Brandon Sanderson trilogy of graphic novels called White Sand that's really really good. Um, he worked with another person I think named Dan Wells on one called Dark One, which is it's a good. So I do like reading graphic novel kind of stuff, but I do prefer stuff that's shorter, more contained. Um, Meta Barons, I think you lent me that if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, I mean Yoroski's comics insane. are great. Yeah, that was cool. Steelhead. How about that guy? <laughs> so, His head was but uh, you know, this is this is all to say, like that's what I didn't like about comic books, which is why I at least started to enjoy Marvel when it came out as a pure entertainment product because it allowed me to enjoy these characters without having to worry about the massive extended universes. Unfortunately, the level of bloat is now just absolutely insane, and yeah, it, it's also like the. The, the level of sustained crisis really gets to me. You know what I mean? The number wow. of threats that are constantly shoved at these people and shoved at Earth in particular is just nuts. It's like every week there's a new thing that could destroy the entire planet. And, mm -hmm. you know, this week, uh, allegedly this threat is really big. But again, the Avengers are just nowhere to be found as they try and start a world war. It just seems entirely implausible. Well and that's that's kind of like answered away by just Gravik saying, I'm ready for them. <laughs> I'm part Groot now, baby. I'm ready for the Avengers. Bring them on. You know, so I yeah, I I agree. And I mean, this is a problem that that superhero stuff always happens. Uh, Star Wars falls into this. A lot of things fall into this, right? Dragon Ball Z even, right? Where it's like you have a conflict and then you feel the need to go bigger with the next one. And you really don't need to. Uh, if you look at a lot of a lot of a, a lot of what people like about this stuff is they like the characters and they like the journey of the characters and the journey of a character in a science fiction or a fantasy setting doesn't require earth shattering things to happen to be good right um if you look at andor you know he's he's not saving the galaxy in that show right it's it's generally things that happen on a very small yeah, yeah, scale yeah. but it's his journey and the other characters journey that we're watching and really appreciating you know to go back to a, a Disney Plus product that is really good. Actually. Yeah, and it's a thriller so, in the sense yeah. that it's the stakes of Andor are about the individual characters and the degree to which they can affect the universe. And yeah. there's obviously going to be less of a way that Nick Fury without superpowers can affect the world on his own, which is why I would really rather seen this be a spy thriller in that perhaps mm -hmm. they were uh, Nick Fury is attempting to stop a scroll from you know, infiltrating the government and over, you know, taking over the president of the United States. That's something that he can use his mind for and his experience with espionage that makes him uniquely 
qualified as opposed to just calling the Avengers. But the problem is right. now that they're all super scrolls, there have to be superheroes involved. And it's like, what is Nick Fury's purpose? Like, if you actually think about what Nick Fury has done in this show, he has fucked everything up. Yeah, he yeah, mostly he fucked just everything shoots people up. that he shouldn't be shooting. That's that's kind of the that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. He 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 literally didn't tell the Russians about the false flag operation that he knew was happening, which created an international <laughs> yep. incident, which he could have just said, hey, there's a terrorist attack. It's not us Americans. You know, he doesn't call things in in advance when he discovers that Don Cheadle, Colonel Rhodes, who's also, by the way, a superhero war machine uh, from the Avengers universe, right? Now he's a scroll. But now he's a scroll, right? And so, alert. and so he didn't call that into the U.S. government and say, hey, guys, you know, you are completely compromised at this point in time, despite knowing the fact. I mean, he did use the liquid tracker or whatever to follow him <laughs> through the city and then discover his yeah. plans. But at the end of the day, like Nick Fury could have just solved this by talking to a few people. And that's the problem is the entire premise well, is just fucked up right now because we need it to be an actual spy thriller that is subtle. It has to be subtle. So I think you're right, but you're not right in the completely correct way. So because you you are forgetting that there's a, there's a constant reason why they're not exposing this to the big governments is because uh, Fury is worried about all of the scrolls that are just you know being good people and living normal lives. Being he's worried about them. I think that's yeah that's a legitimate concern. So I can see his angle, especially considering that he apparently married a scroll. That uh, he he cares about that enough that he won't you know expose this because he cares about those other scrolls. And part of it, too, is that we kind of get like a, a, a sad Nick Fury that is kind of like bad at everything now instead of like cool Nick Fury. Nobody wanted nobody, nobody wanted this. like useless Nick Fury. Everybody wanted cool Nick Fury. That's, yeah, that's nobody wanted depressed, like, you know? alcoholic Indiana Jones either. And nobody wants. Well, that washed. was only a tiny part. Well, they 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 did bounce back from that, but we didn't want it. Yeah. And it was there. And now we've got washed Nick Fury who apparently yeah. just can't do anything without screwing it up. And I agree with your point, Noah, about not wanting the world to know because it could cause a xenophobic reaction from people against the rest of the scroll. But at the mm -hmm. same time, the U.S. government has tons of secrets. If you feel like you can't talk to the president about this or the Avengers... Fair enough. You know, he. why can't Nick Fury just call the Avengers? He used to be the one who organized them. Yeah, I I don't know because we don't have the budget to bring in the Avengers. That's that's the real reason. Of but, course, uh, you know, and and again, like it, you could say they say, oh, well, we really wanted to show the focus on Nick Fury. It's like, well, then let him be cool. Let him do yeah, things. Let him like, do things that he's capable of doing without the Avengers. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Stop, stop. Have him stop a more subtle plot to start. You know, insert people into various governments yeah. as doppelgangers, right? And that so, would be feasible that he wouldn't want to let people know about that. It might be something that he would have to do with just him and his loyal scroll allies who are trying to stop it. That could be really interesting. But totally. when you so, raise the stakes to World War III, you always have to ask the question, where are the superheroes now? Hmm. Well, so here's the thing. If you want to show that did what this show, I think, is trying to do well, at least in the first season or so anyway, is go back and watch Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, that show got very wacky uh, down the line, and I acknowledge that. I enjoyed it anyway, but it did get really wacky and, you know, loose plots and stuff. But the first season was very good in that you've got sort of the the Marvel Men in Black, right? Where it's like, this is the government agency that operates in the shadows. They deal with these extraterrestrial supernatural threats in a way that doesn't sort of interact with the average person and all that. 
Uh, they do interact with the government sometimes because the government does need to know, but they're cool about it. Like that is a cool spy espionage kind of like method of doing what this show is doing, dealing with supernatural threats, right? So, you know, I think it's just tragic that like Agent Coulson got killed off, right? Bring back Coulson, bring back the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, they would handle this so much better and in a so much more entertaining way. And the thing is, the character of Nick Fury that we have in the Marvel Cinematic Universe could do that too. It's just we didn't get that Nick Fury for the show. We got, I'm going for my Emmy Nick Fury, you know, where it's like drama, you know, the whole time. Like, all right, I get it. Samuel L. Jackson is a very good actor. Everybody knows that, right? I, I have, just, I have. We want to see cool Nick Fury. They're, they're, the scenes are dumb, but the two scenes he's had with Don Cheadle uh, alone when they're drinking, you know, it, the one previously in the London restaurant that yeah. we talked about, and then when he breaks into his hotel, both those scenes have been really good in terms of acting. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's just more what I want is the small stakes you know, the small stakes stuff. Like, all the best yeah. scenes in this show have not been Grevic, like, grooting people. It, it's been, it's been like... <laughs> is grooting people a verb? I guess uh, it, it is now. Uh, it's, been, it's been like Don Cheadle and, and, and Samuel L. Jackson talking to each other, or it's been Olivia Coleman like, torturing that guy um, being spy Mary Poppins. You know, the, that's, those have been yeah. the best scenes. Because what is the best espionage storyline? It's a battle of wits, right? Yes. It's a battle of minds. It's not a punch out. That's what you have like the military for. Your spies are for talking things out, being subversive, do doing, you know, having cool conversations, right? That's what these shows need to do. But right. and I feel only, like we should, should we get only, into one episode in particular. Should we should, sure, oh, go ahead? Hold on. Go ahead. There's only we'll one espionage franchise that does the ridiculous shit well that's bond obviously because that's built yeah. into it's baked into the bond dna and the bond expectations but for yeah, the most he's part supposed to do that. he's supposed to do that but for the most part these spy thrillers you know really should be small scale like you think mm -hmm. about really great movies like you know tinker taylor soldier spy and the subtlety oh, of, yeah. of gary oldman's machinations in that movie is just really good mm -hmm. and i just wish this could be that because then we're not asking where the avengers are constantly because that's the only thing that's left in this show now yeah I mean, I, again, I'm going to keep going back to Andor as an example of a spy thriller yeah, great. done the right way, right? Where even you have like uh, Lucian, right? Uh, who is the kind of the spy master who recruits Andor and all that kind of stuff. If you haven't watched, watched Andor, here's some spoilers. But it's been out for months, so your problem, not mine. Uh, but there's there's very little action in that show. And when it is, it is, it is spy action, which yeah. means it is merciless, cold, and efficient, which I love. Yeah. Like my favorite scene in that whole show is where he gets caught in the tractor beam by the ship that's trying to like board him and uh, you know get his ID and all that. And uh, he just t flips on the switch, destroys their like satellite array, and then instant kills the TIE fighters and hits hyperspeed. And like, it's, it's not a drawn out fight. It's not a big extravaganza. It's just cold and efficient. I'm like, holy crap. Now that is a starship fight done by a spy. That it was so cool and so yeah. perfectly done. That's how action needs to be done in a spy thing. It needs to be quick and efficient, right? Yep. Also, so. why Rogue One is bad because the end is just a giant. Well, it's not really a spy thriller, cluster. It's more, yeah, it should have been. It movie. should have been. It should have been though. It should have been. Could have been, but <laughs> should have. I like big. Battles, Andor. So Andor is what Rogue One should have been instead of a giant fuck off fight at the end of the movie. Anyway, we're we're getting. We're getting into we're getting into Rogue what? One. Don't get started with me, <laughs> Rogue One. I um, love that space battle. When I when they came out of hyperspace, man, I got chills and the theme played. It was great. Like I admit that that was playing right into what I want out of Star Wars, which is big old school space battles. I'm a sucker for that stuff. 
and so I will love it until the end of time. It was badly done. That's anyway, uh, let's let's get. So you want to get into which episode do you want to talk about in particular here? Well, I mean, we I'd say we talk about episode three, and then we talk about episode. Four. Okay, you, you know, know, one in, of the in order. One of, three. one of the things that I really loved, and actually, there are a lot of parallels between Strange New Worlds and Secret Invasion. Interestingly enough, in these in these two episodes of Secret Invasion, one of the things yeah. I loved was when Amelia Clark's character just gets mercilessly gunned down by Grevick, where she's trying to make an excuse and he just shoots her. Just yeah. like Kirk, you know, in that in that previous episode of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. No. And just like Kirk it, being shot in Strange New Worlds, we knew that it would have zero consequences for the overall story of the show. We, we knew <laughs> it was a zero consequence <laughs> moment and thereby had no emotional stakes at all. Because uh, as soon as that happened in episode three, my wife and I were watching it too. And I'm like, she's a super scroll we saw her looking at all this stuff obviously she's going to come back at the beginning of the next episode and not to jump ahead but that's exactly what happened in the very first episode the very first second of the next by the episode. way you know what i hate no. when fiction does is that they intentionally show you things out of order just to create suspense so they yeah. show a flashback after she's shot of at the start of the next episode of her super scrolling herself in the laboratory where they couldn't yeah, just show like us know. that <laughs> well that's these shows think we're all stupid is 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 what it's like and i talked about this in strange new worlds a little bit in one of our past episodes where just if you have some dialogue that's supposed to it was the lawyer episode right where it's like that scene where she out totally out talks someone and the person at the end is like oh why do i feel like i got hit by a shuttle it's like you don't need to say that we we don't need the line that screams in our faces she's smart it's like we know that already we just listened to all the dialogue we got that point so yeah don't treat us like we're idiots. You don't need to show us all these flashbacks of things we just saw. If somebody missed it, that's their fault. Your viewers are more discerning than you think they are. <laughs> I, think. I would like to think. But yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. In our last episode, uh, before the Indiana Jones episode, our last episode we talked about this, you you off the cuff just mentioned the term Super Skrull. And now Super Skrulls is all over the show. <laughs> You were right. And I, I do like that in episode three uh, as well. Uh, this is getting out of order a little bit too bad. Uh, I feel like Talos had a Will Smith moment where he told someone to keep a family member's name out of their mouth. I was I was like, uh, <laughs> that's true. That had to be it. That had to be a Will Smith callback. There's no other way you would phrase it that way. That's that's fair. It doesn't seem like something Talos would say otherwise. But so I was amused by that. But let me ask you this, Monte Cristo. If you are one of the leaders of the free world, a, a, a leader of a democratic nation or some big military or some some high position, uh, how often do you think you're able to just sort of go away for a while, for a day or two, and then come back and nobody asks where you were? Because the entire council coming whenever Gravik asks to have a little meeting, I'm like, there's a prime minister of England in there. Like nobody's concerned. The chief that she of just the vanished. UN military. Yeah, exactly. It's like these people just show up. It's like, oh, graphics calling. It's like, yeah, oh, uh, you know sorry, president of China. I'm going to have to like uh, leave for a couple days. Sorry hey, about the you conference. Know, you know, security detail that follows me around everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Peace. Prime Minister doesn't have one of those in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> They're like, ah, she can take care of herself. Hey, guys, I just need a break. Um, Can I go to this? Uh, <laughs> Can I, can I just go to this random location with no security? I'm feeling very suffocated right now. I need to step away for a couple of days from this prime minister uh, thing. Yeah, and, and the problem me. is, guys, of course they could just shapeshift and leave and go to the meeting. 
But then the question sure. would be, where's the prime minister after that, right? Like, you just exactly. disappear. Like, imagine if, imagine it, it would just take such insane planning. I mean, you'd have to be, you'd have to be at home and then slip out of your home and have nobody notice that you weren't at home or something like that. And doing that with mm. everybody would be really hard. You'd think it would especially raise some alarm on bells. the short, well, especially on the short notice, notice too, that Gravik seems to require of his, <laughs> his counsel too. Because he's like, call them. And then like five minutes later, they're all together. And we don't get any sense that any significant amount of time has passed. So Also, they don't have phones? What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. Why do you have to do this business in I person? Don't know. Phones can be traced, Monty. Uh, don't you know this is a spy thriller? <laughs> Everyone's tracing everybody. All I'm going to say is it's probably easier to disguise your phone calls than it is to disappear as the Prime Minister of Britain. Just going to put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, and and you get some themes from the show that they're kind of starting to bring out where it's like this show, the big theme is like uh, to a certain extent is exploitation, right? Fury exploited the Skrulls. The Skrulls are exploiting fear. Gravik is exploiting the other Skrulls. You know, Talos arguably is exploiting the hope of other Skrulls to, for his agenda. Sure. So, yeah. So so I feel like that's a big theme of the show. And like, I, I get that. And, and that's the thing that kind of frustrates me with the show is that I think there's some, some interesting themes being brought up here. But again, the, the execution just execution just but, doesn't seem to be there. But here's the key. Here's the kicker. Uh, yeah. In order for uh -huh. that to work, you have to feel sympathy for the scrolls. <laughs> you do have to care, don't you? I don't care if all the scrolls die. Okay. I don't. I think you but should. I, I agree. I, I think you should I murder agree. all scrolls. That's what I think. Uh, Whoa. So... <laughs> Whoa. That is a that is a hot take. <laughs> Uh, how do you know that I see now I'm wondering if Monty's actually a scroll and he's just saying that to throw us <laughs> off the trail. <laughs> no, but it, you have to have some level of sympathy for what they're doing. But mm -hmm. especially when Talos gets killed in one of these later episodes, like which yeah. scroll are we actually rooting for right now? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to that later, but I mean, I, I think Gravik has a very legitimate gripe, right? I mean, they were promised a sure. planet, which is a stupid promise to make, by the way. Like, how in the world did Fury think that he could just, like, find a planet for the Skrulls? You can't even find another planet for humans. Like, <laughs> come on. Come on, Fury. You should have known better than this. So the entire premise is kind of goofy, honestly. It's, uh, talk about overpromising. I mean, I <laughs> think it'd be of... easy to find a planet. The, the galaxy is full of planets. Right? You're just, I'm saying a, a planet that they're capable of living on. Well, You're just saying they can give them, like, give them Mars or something like good luck I mean apparently they aren't affected by radiation so they're hardier than humans there's probably a wider variety yeah. of planets that they are capable of, li of living on right that is true but is Fury like even good at finding planets like what qualifies him to find a planet for an All entire right, you species just go tell the Avengers to go find a planet it's not that it's not that hard maybe though. I mean Captain Marvel might know she's <laughs> she's out there the Guardians of the Galaxy they've been exactly around places yeah I suppose that's that's true uh, I think Fury's primary role, though, is just to screw up Talos's uh, efforts at diplomacy. Really? Offered you a partnership, we would have stood by you proudly. So stand with me now. You're too late. Enough of this bull! Ah! I'm giving you three seconds to give me that code, or I'm gonna aim higher, or, or, or maybe lower. Give me the One, gun! Give me the two! I said, give me that gun! It's like, uh, Talos like, no, let me talk to him, and Fury is like, Bam! You're dead. It's like he's Michael Scott in that improv sketch in like season one of The Office, where like everything ends with him like, "I'm Agent Michael Scarn. I have a gun." <laughs> you know. So it's like, it's just stop Fury. Just go home. I am in favor of Fury retiring at this point. Like this show 
has actually the the show about Nick Fury has turned me against Nick Fury. Maybe it's supposed to. Maybe I'm not supposed to like Nick Fury anymore. But I came into the show liking Nick Fury as a character, and now I want him to retire. <laughs> Don Cheadle was right. Done. Don Cheadle was right. Yeah, it's time to it's time for Fury to go to the. Every, everybody's trying to retire, uh, you know, Nick Fury. Don Cheadle's trying to retire Nick Fury. Apparently his wife, who is a scroll sleeper agent for Grevic for years, whose job was to be activated in order to kill Nick Fury, potentially, who also refuses yeah. to kill Nick Fury. And Nick Fury refuses to kill her, even though he knows it's love. a... But he knows They're it's a scam that <laughs> she's married to him. And it was all well, a setup. It it, maybe it was one of those things where it was it was it was supposed to be but then she fell for him over time you know it's like that it's like the romantic comedy setup where it's like the the cool jock guy asks out like the the ugly nerdy girl as like a bet or something but then over the course of the film he realizes she's a wonderful person and he falls in love with her but then she finds out at the end that like it was all a setup and she's like oh i i hate you i can't believe this and then he has to spend the last act of the movie convincing her that his feelings are real you know when all his friends are like oh you didn't need her anyway so I feel like it's that kind of situation with Nick Fury and the Skrull, you know? Well, that would be great like, if they oh. actually showed that instead of just condensing your theory that isn't proven into five minutes of film <laughs> where there's no emotional arc or resonance yeah, whatsoever. Of course. My, I do that for comedic effect, but, but you're absolutely <laughs> right, you know? But so the other thing, uh, you know, going into, I think that's pretty much everything for episode three. There's not really much to talk about, honestly. And then episode four that goes into things a little bit farther where they have the the scene where they're talking about the poem at the beginning and then at the end that comes back right before they don't shoot each other and i'm like that was kind of a neat moment but why was that poem scene at the beginning of this episode that scene should have been like an episode or two ago yeah i agree so the the decisions about where they place scenes in the show are so bizarre <laughs> The, the show some the of the sequencing is really weird it's it's like they just shot a bunch of stuff and then then decided later what how to build episodes out out of it that's really what it seems like is they shot a ton of different scenes and then they were like all right now how do we make six episodes out of this where do but, we put different things but then they but then they intentionally messed it up after that because like we said the prologue that should have been in episode one was an episode two that actually explained nick fury's exactly. entire background with the scroll in the 90s mm -hmm. so instead you're just kind of thrown into this show expecting to know and or care what the scroll are and no yeah. history around them being on earth whatsoever that's what I'm talking about, is that the, the decision on where scenes are placed in the series seems all wrong. It, it seems very out of order. There's a lot of things where you watch a scene and you're like, oh, if that would have come earlier, that would have provided so much more context. It would have provided a bigger emotional moment to a thing. It would have helped you understand what the heck was going on. Um, so, yeah, it's I've never I've never actually thought about this in a show before. This is the first time I've ever really watched a show and been like, why in the world did they place the scenes the way they placed them? It's it's so strange. Yeah, I don't know. It's not good. <laughs> so more in episode four. Obviously, it starts with Guy being a super scroll and she heals up and then we get the flashback of like, I was so yes, excited when I thing. thought I wasn't going to have to watch any more Amelia Clark in this show, Della. Also, just as an yeah, aside, almost, almost got there. We're, we're going to get we're going to get to this point in Strange New Worlds. But there's a moment in one of the new episodes of Strange New Worlds where Spock turns into a human. Right. And they're coaching him. <laughs> yep on how to be a human, right? Or how to pretend to be a Vulcan rather again, right? And yeah. they say, you you leave the rest of your face, you know, not moving, no expression, and you only use your eyebrows for expressions. 
which is exactly oh. how Amelia Clark acts. It's she is a Vulcan. I fucking figured it out, Doa. I cracked the code. Because if you watch her in all of these scenes, here's what she does. She slightly opens her mouth. She parts her lips like this. Then she just moves her eyebrows. I can't. But the rest of her face doesn't move. So uh, when I was yeah. watching Strange New Worlds last night and they were describing how to become a Vulcan, I was like, that's how Amelia Clark thinks you should act. <laughs> I I can't I can't counteract that, man. Like, I mean, it's it is just it's just true. <laughs> I have nothing to say. <laughs> the parallels are there. That. The, par the parallels are there. It is what you say is logical. <laughs> I'd lie. I'm a good liar. Okay. Um, and I can't wait to talk about Strange New Worlds, by the way. But anyway, we got to keep talking about Secret Invasion for the moment. But so here's something I liked about episode four. When they had the initial conversation with Fury and his wife, the the cinematography, the framing was extremely good in this scene because when they started the scene. They, they framed it purposefully wrong. Normally, uh, if you have a frame, think about your letterbox, right? Uh, if somebody is talking to, to someone, you have them facing in towards the center of the screen, generally, and, and the way you would be if you flip it 180, right? Uh, they did the opposite, where they had them on the side facing away from the center, which is a very off-putting angle. It's a, it's a subconscious thing that makes you uncomfortable when you're watching a scene. And so doing that, having them both facing away from the center of the camera when they switch back and forth to them, was a really neat intentional thing. And then as the scene progressed and as they sort of talked through things and resolved it, it got more and more centered until it was properly framed at the end. And so I thought that was a neat thing. And, you know, again, it bugs me that there's such cool things happening in the show. And the rest I mean, of the, the cinematography in the, is, is good in this show. Yeah, it, it is. And that scene especially, I think, was shot very, very well. That That's going to stand out to me as, as, you know, one of the best shot scenes I've seen in a show in, in a while. So, uh, so I did really like that. But on the other hand, then you fast forward a couple of scenes in the show and you've got the most cheap CG looking helicopters I've ever seen in a show. They didn't look convincing at all. Like, I mean, I know we're supposed to be able to do mechanical things really well in CG and, and we can, but those helicopters were not, not real. That looked, it looked like, it kind of reminded me of the old Godzilla movies where they show like a miniature that's supposed to be the real size thing, but it's right. clearly not, you know? That's what it reminded me of that. Like fakey looking explosions. It was like, PlayStation three level graphics for these <laughs> helicopters and the, the rockets and things like that. That was, that really kind of took me out of the moment, which was a stupid moment anyway. Also the helicopters were just completely unnecessary. If you just had this yeah. scene as a car battle, it would have done exactly the same thing. It would have lost none yeah. of the excitement. You didn't even need the helicopters in there. You didn't. And, and to also, add to that. Also it just added, it just raised further questions because they were military helicopters. They were trying to create a Russian false flag operation. And so sure. imagine that the president of the United States is landing and you don't have any kind of airspace control where you're like, yeah, you there are military helicopters flying at the president of America right now. Obviously, they have radar, guys. Like, Oh, oh, I figured it out. It's because the prime minister of the UK is a Skrull. Oh. So she... See, actually, that's a legit reason. That, I mean, if they you could explain that, it away maybe. that way. Yeah, if you, but you, you have that, to show I agree. It. But that's the thing is, in order to make things make sense in this show, we keep having to wait for like me to come up with reasons for it. And they are they are reasons that could work, but I shouldn't be needing to explain exactly. away every scene in this show, you know? Yeah. And can we just talk about how 
everyone is just okay with Nick Fury taking the president? Like, why is this okay? He's like, I got my own ride. It's like, oh, you're gonna take the president? Yeah, no, no worries. Oh yeah, sure. Go go ahead. We'll just stay here. Uh, take care of him. He's the president. Put him in my car. I got my own ride. Wait, it's a who are you? I guess the implication is everybody knows who Nick Fury is. I guess. But shouldn't Don Cheadle have told everyone that he was like retired? Fired? Yeah. Fired or retired? Either way. Like, yeah, he shows up with an alien, by the way. The, these people are seeing an alien. And the, I, these are not like the Avengers. These aren't the Agent Seals. These are regular just soldiers of Secret Service. And they're like, it's an alien. They're going to shoot it. And he's like, no, he's with me. And they're like, so first they have to accept that there's an alien there helping the president. They're just like, okay. But they don't you know, know that they're not kidnapping the president because they're trying to break him out right. of the car. They have no idea what these people's motivations are. Exactly. So and then they so that didn't make that didn't make any sense to me. Oh, by the way, one of my favorite point in that whole episode though was when uh Gravik and his second hand lackey or whatever, his second in command, his number one, if you will, um, are like, you know, ready to attack the president or whatever, and they see Fury coming in the truck and his his lackey goes, Fury's here. And, and like the same voice you would use if like Nick Fury was dropping by for a friendly dinner and you were expecting him. And this is how you would tell your your spouse. You'd be like, Fury's here. That's that's the tone that he told Graphic that Fury had arrived to do battle with them. Fury's here. So that was also weird for me. There's a lot of... A lot of weird moments. <laughs> well, show. it's bad. Can we talk about Star Trek now? <laughs> it, it is bad. I, I will say again, I do like Samuel L. Jackson as an actor. He's great, obviously. Every time he talks, I want to listen. It's it's he's, he's a good actor. One last moment. I'm very sad that we haven't seen Queen Elizabeth for two episodes. I now. know. Bring her she back. was one of the best characters, and then they just had Samuel Jackson something. make one phone call to her, and that's the, that's the end of it, I guess. Where, yeah, by the, the way, character. by the way, that is another weird sequence because she works for for MI6, the British intelligence agency, and Samuel yeah. L. Jackson calls her and said, "Hey, um, so you got like a rogue nuclear submarine that's going to blow up a UN plane full of leaders?" Oh, and yeah, she's like, about "She just says, I can't really do anything about that, but here's this guy's <laughs> address, so you could go just." Kill him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, go torture him at first, though. And, like shoot him, even though Talos says not to. You know, Talos so, is she's like, I got in trouble oh. for I got in trouble for that stuff that happened in Russia, so I can't do anything. It's like, are you for real? Like you're saying you can't stop a submarine from shooting missiles at a UN plane because you, nah. you, you sort of got caught in Russia. Maybe she's a scroll. <laughs> oh, by the way, Talos is dead. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Strange New Worlds. Let's talk about those right. episodes, and they were quite good. This is this is what we wanted, Noah. We've got yes, actual Star finally. Trek on our hands now. Actual yes. Star Trek. Yes. Epi okay, so I really liked episode four. We're going to dive into each episode individually, obviously, but just as a general broad strokes uh, intro to this, I thought episode four was great. It was just great Star Trek. Um, it hit all the things I like about Star Trek in it. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Episode five was good in a funny way, which I didn't, I, I know they had the capability to have funny moments in the show, but I didn't know it was possible to do a funny episode that I would actually enjoy. It was I, good. I really liked it. I did. So 
Uh, do, are you on the same page? Do you like both episodes? Yeah, I, I think I think what's what was so interesting about these and what we mean by actual Star Trek guys is that these these weren't like action set pieces. You know, the yes. first one is they're trying to overcome so, some sort of bizarre phenomenon, like space phenomenon, which is mm -hmm. in the in episode four. They return to a planet which was featured in the original series, except they stay there for longer. And there's this meteorite that causes them to lose their memories, basically. So it's Captain Pike and uh, uh, the doctor on this planet trying to figure out um, basically who they are again. And then encountering a former crew member that they left on this planet previously, who's now in control of it. Really just fun concept. And that's what you want from Star Trek, for, at least yeah. from the shows that do the weekly episodes that aren't serialized, which is that you want an interesting concept um, that shows the characters in a new light and that is very easy to follow and has one plot line that is just kind of resolved by the end. And the highlight yeah. has to be about the interactions between the characters and showing the character's personality. And this show did it really well, or this episode did it really well. Yeah, uh, man, I mean, where to begin? I mean, it begins with Pike cooking mom's spaghetti. So it's always <laughs> funny you get to say mom's spaghetti. Um, but they they did, we talked about uh, before, you know, speaking of spaghetti and cooking, that they have the ingredients. They just weren't able to cook the recipe well. They did the trope well this time. They, yeah, they it wasn't did original. The classic, uh, no, but you know, what but it's is what we Star want Trek? out of you Star can, Trek. Yeah. You can repeat tropes. You just have to have an entertaining story around with it. So this trope was the large-scale crew insanity trope, which uh, has been seen in many, many yes, episodes many of Star episodes. Trek over the years. Most yeah, famously, the, uh, one in... I, I, the game where they all get addicted to the... <laughs> yes. that, is a, that is a classic Next the Generation. The... They throw the discs into the, the tubes. <laughs> and yeah. If you haven't seen this, guys, uh, they have these... Oh. The game is like a... Is, is a virtual reality thing that they have on their eyes. It's like something they put on their heads so they see a screen. And then they just mm -hmm. throw this disc into the tubes and it gets them all addicted to it. Um, yeah. It's great. It's a great episode. It, it really saw like the Angry Birds craze, you know, years in advance, really. But uh, <laughs> but no, it was it was a great episode. Then the, I, I think back to the, the season one episode where something happens on the ship that makes everyone drunk, basically. <laughs> and that's when uh, then what's... Tasha Yar and Data hookup, oh, and it's just all sorts of all sorts of crazy stuff happens. But so, but this going back to Strange New Worlds, this was that trope again. This was a large scale crew insanity trope. This time, the insanity takes the form of a radiation that makes people forget, um, and it was done really well in that if it affected the crew in different ways depending on where they were geographically, which um, which I thought was cool. That the crew up on the starship had a little bit longer to try to figure things out. Um, whereas uh, uh, Pike and Mbenga on the ground, they were basically, you know, excuse me, and Laan uh, were overcome by it uh, almost immediately. Um, I like that we had got a little bit of uh, Pike development in this, yep. uh, where he has the conversation with his uh, significant other at the beginning, and uh, he's not sure that things are going to work out with them both being captains and all that. And uh, he, and so he jumps right away to. Uh, maybe we should like take a break because he's thinking of like what's going to be the quickest, most efficient solve for the problem without really thinking about the other person's emotions. And he tends to be that way. He tends to be kind of impulsive, looks for the solution, um, sometimes needs to slow down and think about the other people in the room, you know? 
So I thought well, that was especially a very because way of screwing up the uh, the problem. Yeah, he was making a decision about their relationship for her because he didn't yeah. want to screw up her career. But she had already. I mean, it's taking agency away from her. I mean, she made the decision yeah, uh, that might have cost her some career advancement in the episode with Una at the trial, right? Mm -hmm. To to kind of defend her, and that was her choice. And she did that because she wanted the relationship. So to, to have Pike turn around and say, oh, I'm the impediment, it's it's not his choice to make, which I thought was a good realization yeah. that he had. Yeah. Um, I thought that was good. Um, I think Ethan Peck is a fantastic Spock, by the way. He's I think for me, season two is just starting to become about Spock more than anyone, <laughs> um, which I was not. At first, I, I made fun of it early on in, in a previous episode. I made fun of Spock and his emotions. But it's led to some very entertaining things, which we'll talk about a little bit later, because that's mostly the next episode. But um, I guess uh, Dr. Mbenga is cross-classing cleric and fighter now uh, in D&D terms, because remember, he had that him and Chapel had that long extended fight scene, like the raid style fight scene in the first yeah. episode, which after they impact themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they got hopped up on the juice and started fighting a bunch of Klingons. And uh, now we have multiple scenes now with him like punching a uh you know a punching bag and things like that so it's almost like they realize they're like okay well we have to give some context to like why he actually is a fighting person and now he doesn't have to worry about his daughter so i guess he's just punching things as his uh his outlet yeah now, he's he's the books. he's the do harm uh doctor <laughs> that's right do no harm unless you need to harm. I, I, I love i love how mbenga is basically just counteracting the hippocratic oath at every turn he's like should i kill these 10 klingons fuck yeah well, it's like he's able to separate uh, professional and personal life is the way I the way I see it. Beating oh. up some Klingons, that's personal. <laughs> Saving someone's life in the uh, med bay, that's professional. Yep, that's our Mbenga. But uh, I I like the I like all the characters in the show for the most part. Um, oh, I have another I have another note that uh, Pike's hair is uh, fantastic. And uh, it should be a, an easy indicator that they are not from the countryside when they're kind of wondering who they are. I was like, why don't they just look at his hair? Look in the mirror, Pike. Clearly, that that he's coiffure, very well groomed. Yeah, that doesn't come from living on the pig farm. No. These are not hands that have seen work in a stone quarry. Something's not right here. You aren't from the field. That's what keeps bothering me. We don't belong here. Now, well, if you are a pig farmer out there with wonderful hair, I apologize. I'm sure you have a mirror and all sorts of products and things. But uh, for the context of this episode, that should have been a giveaway that he wasn't a peasant. I did like, though, that they tried to boil it down to the essence of the characters after they forgot their specific memories and yeah. that they would behave according to their true nature, which I think was very revealing about how Pike handled the situation, especially at the end of the episode when he infiltrates this palace to get the crew member that was leading everyone that had been abandoned there for many years. And, um, you know, his his reaction to trying to save the remaining crew members and, and make things right. I think it really did show, you know, Pike's nobility, but also fierce loyalty to the people who he are under his command. And I thought it was a really, mm -hmm. really interesting, really interesting look into his character. And I enjoyed that quite a bit. And you saw kind of a dark side too to it. You yeah. know, you saw the sort of like brutality to it, where you know his, he'll he's go to very, any length. Yeah, yeah, he's very objective based, right? And he will kind of do anything to reach that objective. And the objectives are, like you said, usually loyalty to his friends. They come from a good place, but he he was shown to be extremely ruthless in uh, terms of how he gets there. Uh, I mean, which, that's which just how you have to be as a good officer, though, because that that's uh, the quality is 
you know, you have to be brutal at times, but you have to protect your crew because that's the way that the crew sticks by you and, and kind of agrees to go under your command, right? That's how pirate ship works, pretty sure. And we know that the <laughs> how any naval ship works. Is <laughs> That's how any naval ship works. <laughs> but so, g more general things I liked about this episode. Uh, the the threat was good in that uh, it was it was a, it, it felt very real. Like forgetting is extremely scary. That is an extremely scary thing for people. Um, both of my grandmothers died from Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I tend to be a forgetful person. So this this trope, this threat felt very like unnerving for me which i like out of a tv show i want to feel unnerved genuinely by the threat and this did that and i thought they did a very good job of ramping up the tension too because it's like this is starting to affect people it's starting to affect people on the ship they decide that they they can avoid it a little bit more by flying into the asteroid field so you've got that tension now where there's this threat to the ship from in a physical sense while the crew is also dealing with the sort of like mental threat as well so they did a good job of just taking the tension and just ratcheting it up throughout the episode to the point where you're like, I genuinely don't know how they're going to get out of this, which I, I like to be in that state when I'm watching a show like this. So I these, thought it did that very well. These two episodes also, I think, really made you like certain members of the crew more and dimensionalize their personality, especially Ortega, the pilot oh, yeah. in this one. She just has this yeah. great sequence where she realizes that she is the pilot of the ship from talking to the computer, even though she's forgotten how mm. to do that. But she has; she's the only one through muscle memory potentially that can help them get out of this asteroid field. And so you see her nature come out, which is she's kind of cocky, very self-confident, and she goes up and actually ends up, you know, getting them out of a, a bad situation. I'm the pilot. Just trust me. I feel like I know how to do this, and I'm the only one who can. Yes, yes, you are. I believe you. Now get us out of here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But she's a really good actress, um, and very she's she's becoming, I think, one of my favorite characters on the show. Well, yeah, she's great, and and I think it's uh, it does a good Star Trek thing in that it demonstrates that every member of the command crew, at least, uh, has like this intense confidence and intense like a uh, charisma and ability that. You kind of come, you should be expecting from people in that position in Starfleet, you know, which just makes Starfleet cool, right? That the people yes. that have reached this level are genuinely like to a person all awesome at what yes. they do and really impressive. And so I like it when characters get a chance to show that off, which if you go back also is another thing that makes the threat even more threatening because you take those skills that we know these characters for and you, you diminish them or you take them away. And so then you are left with, you know, what are these characters without their skills that right. define them? You know, and so the rediscovery of that was uh, was was pretty neat. Um, also, shout out to uh, Reed Bernie is his name that played uh, Luke as the great tragic side character for that uh, episode <laughs> where he had completely bought in to the I don't want to remember juice. And then at the end, he, he does remember. And it's like a tragic moment for him. But he's so appreciative of it, too. And so it's a I feel like the whole thing is a nice treatise on like the value of memory and all that, too. And sure. And also so the pain that it can create. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the pain, but also the value too. Like sometimes even if it's a bad memory, you want to remember it because it's important to you, you know? Yep. And so that was kind of like his his journey a little bit. Um so 
what do you feel, how do you feel about uh, the treatment of the Prime Directive in this episode? Because they do just pull the asteroid out and toss it into space, which who knows where that thing's going. That could cause, that could cause problems in a couple seasons. And then, uh, you know, they, they said uh, that the asteroid wasn't natural, and that was their reason for getting rid of it. I mean, it was kind what of about bullshit, like, right? I know. What about it would, the asteroid it would that, destabilize, like, destroyed the It would obviously, like, destabilize that whole culture. But I think the argument yeah. is that they accidentally already destabilized that whole whole culture on their previous away mission where they left the, their technology Fair and enough. left the former crew member. So I would say that it's probably justified because that thing is, you know, very strange and probably is doing more harm than good. And you have to make a choice, right? It's already been damaged. Yeah. So I would, I would think that it's probably best to remove it. Yeah, and I think it kind of fits with the show's... Uh, attitude towards the prime directive where it's like well we can bend the rules if we kind of need to really where you know you look into tng and sure it did get bent every once in a while but i feel like the tng crew especially picard was much more rigid about that kind of thing um for the most part there were there were moments here and there of course but for the most part they were less likely to do it than this crew would be um well, they also had right. significantly yeah. you know decades and decades more of experience in strange yeah. situations. I mean, the thing about the earlier shows, so Enterprise and and Strange New Worlds, which is pre the original series, is that mm. it it's a lot more Wild West. You know, by the time True. you get by the time you get to TNG, like the political alliances are mostly kind of felt out. You know, there's a variety of um, you know, uh pacts between the major powers within the galaxy. And it really takes some very big outside threat like the Borg to throw them for a loop. But yeah. it, it's not that they're not doing exploration, but the the wildness of the galaxy is much more present in Enterprise and Strange New Worlds than it is in That's a good point. the later, you know, the, the Star Trek later down the timeline. It's a good point, which makes it even worse down the line when Picard, it seems like everything's just kind of gone to crap again. But uh <laughs> That's until season three when it's good again. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I have one last question for you about this episode okay. before we move on to episode five. This will be a test of your historical knowledge. The episode itself is called Among the Lotus Eaters. Yes. What is that referring to? Um, well, that refers to the Odyssey. Um, so there there were in the Odyssey, o Odysseus goes to an island um, where... There are people who eat. So Lotus, nobody knows what this actually was, or it's not the Lotus flower that you think of right now. It yeah. is a it mythical a Lotus tree. Yeah, it's a mythical tree where you eat the fruits or the flowers. I forget which one it is. The fruit or the flowers of this tree. Fruit. And you then basically don't care about anything else. And you want to stay there. So when Odysseus goes with his crew, some of them eat the fruits or the flowers. I, I guess it's fruit, whatever, um, on the island. And he has to kind of drag them back onto the ship because the only thing you want to do at that point is you get trapped only wanting to eat the lotus fruit. Yes. The trap of, of apathy, which is uh, which is the reference to, of course, like characters like Luke in that Luke in that episode. Right. Not wanting to remember all that. So, OK, good. You passed the test. I was going mean, to read the Odyssey, ask. So. Yeah, I know, but still, like, uh, I have to, I have to put you on the spot when it comes well, to like Greek mythology. When it comes to Greek right? mythology, I think you will have a hard time throwing me. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge that I will happily accept. We'll see. We'll see what we get later on. Uh, episode five was called Charades, which is, uh, which is a, a another a reference to moment. Greek mythology. In a hilarious episode, I don't know that one. What what is that? No, one? it's not. I'm joking. Charades. I was gonna say. I was like, I don't know that. Like, because I'm. I think my Greek mythology is pretty decent compared to the average person as well. But I, I didn't know charades, so that you got me with that one. But uh, now, 
this is basically an episode about Spock and puberty. Uh, really, <laughs> which is when great, it, when it comes by down the way. To it. Which is great. <laughs> it's a deconstruction of it's it's a fourth wall breaking extent deconstruction of Vulcans, and it's 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 really funny. And I don't, there's just so much to it's say. It's really about this well episode. done. Okay, so it, it is. Yeah. Set the stage for us. Okay, so what happens in this episode is that Nurse Chapel and Spock are doing some research on this moon uh, by the Vulcan system, and they get pulled into some crazy time anomaly where some extra-dimensional aliens exist, like the wormhole in Deep Space Nine, and they yeah, die. You see this stuff a lot. Yeah, or they die, or they, you know, they get they get messed up, and so the the anomaly spits them back out, but puts them back together. But because mm -hmm. Spock is half Vulcan and half human, it thinks that that Spock was like made incorrectly. And so since Nurse Chapel is human, it's like, oh, we'll just make Spock entirely human because his instructions are messed up. Because Make you know, him match is what they say. Yeah, make yeah. him match, uh, which is very funny, right? And, you yeah. know, for, for an unknowable, like fourth dimensional being, it makes sense. Like they're not trying to hurt them. They're trying to help them, yeah. but they just kind of mess it up. So Spock comes back to the Enterprise. He's entirely human. Whoever did this seems to have made you human. What the f And uh-oh, awkward situation time. Here comes his very formal uh, engagement dinner with his Vulcan fiance and her mother who absolutely hates him except now yeah. he's a human and he can't control his emotions because he's never been fully human before and to Doa's point about puberty it is like he is going through adolescence because he, he just feeling everything so strongly they directly like La'an directly mentions that yeah. they, they say it yeah. right and, and you know I don't mind these humor episodes because that has been a core tenant of modern Star Trek. Like, there's think about all the Ferengi episodes in oh, TNG. Do you feel like TNG? There's an episode yeah. where they all turn into children. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, which is very funny, by the way. Oh, they all turn yeah, into like that, 10 yeah. year olds um, due to this anomaly. So it's like Picard and Guinan and Keiko mm -hmm. and. The Bajoran, Ensign Roe, I think. I think those are the right. four that turn into children, which also, if you rewatch that, it's funny, but it also leads to some really uncomfortable situations such as, I mean, obviously Picard commanding the ship as a 10-year-old, but also Keiko bossing Chief O'Brien around as a 10-year-old and then being married. And then it raises questions of like, is that pedophilia, Chief O'Brien, if she has the mind of an adult? Because their minds haven't changed, right? It's only their uh, bodies, so it gets kind of weird and gross. <laughs> well, we kind of we kind of gloss over uh, that, that part, I guess. But uh, yeah, um, questions you don't really think about <laughs> while you're watching the episode, or maybe you do. I, obviously, obviously, I do. I wonder about those situations. Um, but when it comes to this episode, it is another comedic episode, and it's really, it's really well done. Honestly, like it's very it funny. Um, yeah, it is the an timing is really good. It's an awkward yeah. situation. Ethan Peck fucking nails the acting on this. He is amazing in this episode. Just the way that he is so awkward with his own emotions, mm -hmm. you know, pretending to experience them for the first time. 
you know, him, him like getting horny and like looking women up and down very obviously, you know, his, his over, his outbursts, his overreactions, his laughter, yeah. like he crushes this episode. And then him, it, it is a very hard acting job, by the way, when you are pretending to be a Vulcan most of the time. Right. And then you have to be your character pretending to be your character. That is really hard to do as an actor because you would a lot of actors would just be their character again right because they're already acting so it's like you have to add a layer onto that and deconstruct it a bit and i think he does a great job spock are you all right you look upset i'm upset i'm really experiencing muscle spasms well, I mean, they, they, speaking of deconstructing it, like, again, like I say, fourth wall breaking because they literally hand him his prosthetic ears during one scene because they, they're like, oh, you should put these on because we need to make you look right, Vulcan. Which are like, probably really obviously, the, the ears he uses on the those, show. Yes, of course those are. Of course those are the ears he actually uses on the show. It's so, great. And everybody knows that who's watching it. So I, I think it's it's a funny sort of nod to like, yeah, we know we put funny ears on this this person. And and it's like, that's, that's always been a thing with Vulcans and Star Trek. They got pointy ears and we all know they're, you know, prosthetics. But... It's neat. it's funny to see it just handed to him like that, you know. And and uh, what what are what are my notes here? But I mean, yeah, he, I like I said earlier, I think Spock is like the star of, series of uh, season two so far. He really is. Just the the characters become so funny, and uh, and Ethan Peck does such a great job with it. Um, they made Spock a little bit, I guess, like kind of obsessive compulsive, kind of too, where yeah, it's yeah. like insisting that th that things are cleaned up immediately and all that i feel like i didn't really notice that before in his character but i guess that's kind i mean of he's pretty anal thing. but it it made it it i i think they exacerbated it a little bit for the purpose of the episode but it worked it made it funny i thought the the timing the comedic timing of things in this show were very funny where pike is trying to like serve them vulcan food and he has like they there's some there's one point in the like during the dinner where they ask him to go get something and then like he's walking towards him with the tray when Spock yes. has like this big blowboard. He just like turns, <laughs> just has this look and turns. Like uh, Anson Mount does a lot of great acting with his. That's uh, yeah, very face funny. This episode, yeah. I, by the way, the it, this also just makes you wonder why they chose not to have Anson Mount in the first couple episodes of this season. Because all yeah. I want is more Captain Pike. Like he is, he's the he's he's wonderful in this role. Anson Mount is wonderful in this role. And it's just, yeah. even when he's in the background of scenes, like the one where they're at the the dinner and he's trying to make things go smoothly. He's just so fucking funny. <laughs> like, he's just so funny. Yeah. It's a, it, it just, it, it really is a great episode. And I, and it's not the type I, I was so ready to not like the episode after Spock Amok in season one. This is a I much better so version of Spock Amok. Like it, but it, it is. I, I think it is. Because it is sort of, again, like the, the uh, out-of-body thing almost where it's like it's the same person, but it's a different person, sort of. And that Spock is human or fully human now. Um, it also just sort of... It, it's interesting how they treat Vulcans in this series in general. Uh, in I feel like in older Star Trek series, they were treated as kind of like, these guys are a little bit too cold and aloof, but they were also treated as like very, you know, honorable, you know, discerning methodical smart you know people as well whereas vulcans in in stranger worlds are kind of like the comedy race they kind of just use them for uh for the, humor the ferengi of the ferengi of strange new worlds i i actually had that note they are the ferengi of strange stranger worlds i did have that note so yes i think they are the the comedy species in uh the show which you know vulcans if you think about it they are they are kind of funny in that way you know so it is kind of a a, a deconstruction if you will to use that word of 
of that species in the universe and sort of like what that actually means, what that actually entails having to interact with these people. So it, it was funny in, in that way. Um, unfortunately, I think the, the, you know, final verdict is that Vulcans just kind of suck, but uh, you know, and, and they don't, but uh, in, in this series, they're kind of just irritating and nobody really likes them, but you kind of have to get along with them, I guess. The Vulcans are the Dwight Schrute of the Star Trek universe. That's actually a good, is, uh, that's a good analogy. Yeah. That's how it is in, in strange new worlds. Yep. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought this episode, look, there were some things I didn't like about it, such as would would three crew members really risk their lives to fix this problem? Because they go back to the anomaly later and it's uh, it's uh, Chapel, Laon and Ortega. Oh, no, it's Uhura. It's Uhura, yeah, Uhura yeah. Chapel and Ortega. And, uh, and well, and and would they really risk their lives? I mean, remember to change Spock back into a half Vulcan because the whole subplot with Chapel is that. She's trying to research how to do this. She realized there's a time where they're not going to be able to do it anymore. So she has to go back to the aliens and tell them they messed it up. Can you please change him back? And the problem is, like, would they really risk their lives when he's totally fine, by the way? He's physically fine. He's just entirely human. Why would three people maybe die to get this done? Especially when we know they can just call the aliens and I think it would have been better. Well, except the aliens said not to call them. Right, right. So, but I mean, I think yeah. flying back there and doing something else that was maybe a little bit lower stakes would have felt better because it doesn't change the rest of the episode, right? Um, if they're yeah, talking to I the mean, aliens. I think I think in this particular case, for me, I agree with everything you're saying. But in the context of this being a comedy episode, I'm willing to let that slide a little bit more where, you know, if we're we've already established that this is a silly episode it's meant to be funny, and so I'm not going to treat the stakes the same way as I would in, in a serious episode. Well, know? but what so I'm, I agree what with what I'm saying, saying is, but, like, yeah. all the other comedy episodes, most notably the Ferengi episodes from DS9, there was never a life-or-death stake, you know, in those episodes. It was all just silly yeah. shenanigans. and uh, This is symptomatic, though, of everything needing to be life and death in every yeah. show these days. Like that's, that's, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, it's, it does seem like everything needs to be life and death in every show. And it, yeah, it, and it absolutely does not. But yeah, I think that's symptomatic of just the way shows are made right now. Yeah. And, and so I think I th it's a, it's a huge problem. So I didn't like the end of this, yeah. um, the, the sexual tension between Chapel and Spock finally getting realized. I do appreciate that they did a really slow build on that. It wasn't just, yeah. You know, they've been going for over a season and, you know, Spock legitimately was kind of a piece of shit to to bring by not telling her that this thing had happened. Um, not because the whole thing is he hid from her that he had been turned into a human. She is, I think, very justifiably mm. angry that he didn't share that or that she couldn't have yeah. helped him in that scenario. So he doesn't come out of looking pretty, you know, very good in this. But you also get to see that con the conflict um, within himself and within Nurse Chapel about their attraction to each other, which wasn't something that they introduced and then did something with. It's been really well paced throughout a bunch of episodes now that led to this moment. So ultimately, mm -hmm. I think it was a little cheesy, but it felt kind of satisfying. Well, no pun intended, but it happened logically. Yeah. The, the, the progression. But I think it's it's a character moment for Spock, right? Where we see this character that he's half Vulcan, he's half human, but because he grew up in Vulcan, he's obsessed with proving how Vulcan he is to the extent that he wants to marry a Vulcan. Yeah, because he's and insecure so, about his own Vulcan identity. Exactly. So we've known for a long time, it seems to be indicated for a long time in the series that he, he likes her, but he's not truly enamored with her. It's more that he's just pushing himself to go through with this to be as Vulcan as possible when... Yeah. 
you know, obviously he has feelings for Ernest Chapel. So yeah, it, it makes sense. Cause again, you know, him not telling her is basically, you know, just that one more clue, you know, that he's not as into her as he's kind of claiming to be, you know? So obviously we know, we know where this is all going, but, um, but yeah, I think it, it goes back to Spock having to come to terms more with his human side. And, and it was really well done too, especially with the writing that surrounded the, the final scene where he's recognizing you know, what his mother has done. I thought that was very well yeah. written and very poignant. And also totally. the strength that humans have through their emotions uh, when he confronts uh, his, his future mother-in-law. Um, so there were really like, nice moments in this episode. Again, I would change a few things about it, but for the most part, I found it to be really quite entertaining and and develop the characters really well. And also, I was just kind of blown yeah. away by Ethan Beck's acting. I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. I think we got away with one, too, where if this had happened last season or earlier in the season, after he had his big speech about, like, what if I told you it was a human all along that did all that stuff? And nobody applauded at the end of that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that was that was refreshing. They just let it happen. <laughs> just let the moment happen. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody clapped. But not this time. But not which this I time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Not it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. super cheesy. It was just a really, I think, a really yeah. good moment between a couple of different characters who were there. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so, I thought so this, what do you think? I Look, this, I, this, is, this is more of what I want. Look, I'm not going to say yeah. that these are two of the best episodes of Star Trek that have ever been created. But unlike the rest of this season, at least it felt like Star Trek. This is what I yeah, want from this good. show. And eventually, if you do enough of these, you'll get some really good episodes eventually. Yeah. Um, well, it's. I think I think this series is honestly progressing how we are hoping that it progresses, where they're they're finding their footing. It re it is interesting how it's kind of mirroring uh, like TNG and Deep Space Nine, and that both series had arguably kind of a rough start in the first couple seasons, but as they wrote these characters for a while, as they developed them, as the actors sort of like figured out their characters, it started getting really good. And I feel like, I hope that we're starting to really kind of see the the writers and the actors and like everyone come together and really hit their stride on understanding what the show is, understanding what the characters are, how they interact. There's just a couple little nagging things where it's like, again, the stakes, not everything needs to be life and death. Not everything needs to be universe ending. Um, you know, and, and again, not, not, shoving things in our face to make it more obvious than it needs to be. And I think yeah. I don't think these two episodes did that. So I think that was nice that we got to just enjoy them. You know? I, I will say one of my complaints about this season is that we haven't had any evolution on the Gorn threat since episode one, where it was just like barely mentioned. Yeah, Gorns the, are boring. At Forget the, the Gorns. Okay, but the thing about that made the progression of Deep Space Nine so good was that the Dominion just sort of was there when they discovered the wormhole and then they slowly yeah. learned more and more about it and it slowly and slowly and slowly over years became more and more menacing till the point yeah. where, you know, season five, six, seven is just the war, right? And I think mm -hmm. that was so well done, especially if you rewatch Deep Space Nine because you get to see all the seeds they're planting over like years prior to the, the outbreak of the war. And mm. I just, you know, it was kind of a throwaway line of, well, at least we didn't go to war with the Klingons because the Gorn are scary. And then we just hear nothing about the Gorn. Like, I want, I want yeah. there, if they're going to do the Gorn right, I want there to be a, a more of a sprinkling of the actual Gorn threat kind of ramping up over time. I think I, that would, I would agree with you on that. That would be nice. These last two episodes specifically, I think it would have been difficult to work that in just because episode four was such a, hyper-focused character-centric episode. So if you cut to a scene where it's like Admiral April is his name? Yeah. Or something like that? Back at the station being like, uh-oh, more Gorn. 
Uh, that would have been so, out of place. And then it would have been out of place in a comedy episode like episode five. So, so I've got a feeling we're going to see something next week. I That's think, my prediction. I think the time you do that is when uh, Captain Pike is with his girlfriend, who's also a, a high-ranking officer. And oh, sure. they and might, they that might be something, and... yeah, they might be something that they discuss. Cause she literally, like, I think, yeah. leaves to go talk to Starfleet at one point in time. And I think there mm -hmm. might be at least be a little bit of a conversation between them about some, like, existential threat. So I think there's ways you could kind of slide it in there a little bit. Um, totally. But... Yeah. No, I agree. And, and I, my, like I said, my official prediction is that the Gorn are either back or mentioned in the next episode because we've done some character development. We've done some comedy. We've taken a little bit of a break. Um, and now it's, I think it's going to be time to get back to some of the more serious stuff, back to the main, quote unquote, main plot line. And uh, I would imagine, and what better context, like you said, to explore the relationship between Pike and what's her name? I, I forget what her name is. She hasn't been in the series enough to really <laughs> stick in my mind yet, I think. But anyway, uh, for them to work out their relationship stuff, under the guise of like, you know, they call all the captains together and they're like, the Gorn threat has arrived. We're sending this ship here and this ship here and this ship here. And it's like, oh no, our relationship. But now, you know, or maybe there's the two ships are sent together to do something. And it's like, oh, do I protect you? Do I protect, you know, that, that old thing, right? That trope, right. but they, they could do it well. I believe they could do it well. Yeah. They can actually do the tropes. Well, uh, Patel is her name. Oh, Patel. Okay. Patel. Yeah. I, yeah. like I said, I, I, in order for me to remember character names, I need to see them enough, you know, for it to really stick. And I need to start caring about the characters enough. And frankly, I don't really care about that character enough yet. Cause I, yeah. she's like, she's in there once in a while and she was in the court episode. She was featured prominently in that right. episode. But aside from that, not, not a whole lot, you know? Yep. So, all right. Well, I, I'm at least more excited about the series now after being very disappointed by the beginning of the season of Strange New Worlds. Uh, that'll do it for us for Nerd Legion this week, guys. Next week, back with Witcher. We'll do some Witcher. Ooh, um, toss a coin to your Witcher. Which I enjoyed yeah. season one. I did not enjoy as much season two. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be Henry Cavill's last season. So, um, I by the way, guys, just so you know, I haven't read the books, but The Witcher 3 is probably my favorite game ever. And so I will uh, I will probably have some strong opinions about this well, next Well, I have also not read the books. And I have only played like a few hours of The Witcher 3 before I just kind of let it go. So they are going to get pure unfiltered television reactions <laughs> sure not uh, not polluted by book knowledge or in my case even game knowledge <laughs> so this will be good because i actually did like some things about season two i did not like how it ended but uh i i did like some things about uh season two so we'll have an interesting conversation with that next week. i'm looking forward to that all right what's your next week guys see you then